the Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News. We're so glad you're here. These are profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, and my co-host is Dr. Kathy Greenberg. Between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. Today, we're, we're very fortunate. Our show features Dr. Kim Cameron. He's an author and professor of management and organization at the University of Michigan Business School and a professor of higher education in the School of Education at the University of Michigan. As you know, Kathy and I always want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. And Kathy, welcome to the call. Hello. How are you? Um, We are so happy today uh, to have with us uh, Kim Cameron, and he's going to talk to us about virtuousness in organizations. And we know that leaders, as you know, are the heartbeat of organizations, and most leaders really do underestimate just how much influence they have over others. And as a result, they can truly underperform. But doing just a few small things differently can really improve your performance and that of your organization. And in all of our shows, we like to talk about how we can help you develop as leaders, what happy companies know, a little bit about uh, the emotional intelligence secrets and positive psychology strategies that really always loves to talk about. And we also try to put in a little bit about brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance and also sometimes generation and gender differences. But today we're going to talk about virtuousness and positive psychology plus some tools and tips that will help you be your best. Well, thanks, uh, Kathy. Before we bring on Kim, we always want to give you a little bit of uh, research and data from the evidence that we do know. And Leadership Development News, we're always talking about leaders. Why are we talking about leaders so much? Well, we know that leaders have anywhere from 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. Matter of fact, leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. And the reason for that is emotions are contagious, and the leaders probably have the most contagious emotions uh, in the team. We also know that uh, being a star is someone who performs in the top 10%. And one of the keys is emotional intelligence to get in the top 10%. And if you can have leaders in the top 10%, what we know is they will produce twice as much revenue to the organization as managers in the 11th through the 89th percentile. We also know that when you add coaching to training, you get a huge increase in productivity. If it's training alone, some research shows that it's about 22% increase. But if you add coaching to training, it's about an 88% increase in productivity. Both Kathy and I are certified coaches. And we know that bringing coaching networks inside your company um, show that happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. And bringing coaches into your uh, organization in a network is one very positive way to really bring that about. If you're interested in more information from Dr. Kathy Greenberg, 
Her website is www.h2cleadership.com for her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching services. If you're interested in more information from me, Dr. Relly Nadler, my website is www.truenorthleadership.com for emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching boot camps. And Kathy, you want to introduce Kim and maybe let us know kind of how did you uh, first see and hear Kim? Sure, um, it'd be my pleasure. Well, uh, I met Kim uh, at a linkage conference this past year. It was the OD Summit. It was a special anniversary edition, and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Professor Cameron by a mutual friend, Dr. Noel Tishy. And uh, Kim S. Cameron is Professor of Management and Organization at the University of Michigan Business School, and he's also the Professor of Higher Education in the School of Education at the University of Michigan. Uh, Dr. Cameron's past research on many subjects of importance to leaders, including downsizing, effectiveness, quality culture, virtuousness, and the development of management skills uh, have been published in more than 80 articles and 10 books. And I won't go into the list of books, but I will tell you that the latest ones um, are Leading with Values, Making the Impossible Possible, The Virtuous Organization, and a book he's going to talk about today, Positive Leadership, Strategies for Extraordinary Performance. His current research has focused on the virtuousness of organizations and their relationships to organizational success. He's one of the co-founders of the Center for Positive Organizational Scholarship at the University of Michigan. Welcome, Kim Cameron. Thank you very much, Kathy. I'm delighted to be invited. Well, Kim, we have a, a series of questions that we want to uh, walk you through, and Kathy and I will take turns um, focusing on that. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and who's influenced your thinking and career the most. Thanks, uh, really. I, I've uh, been at the University of Michigan since the mid-1980s, mm. so um, have been uh, involved with some extraordinary colleagues and uh, extraordinary members of the profession, the discipline, who have been both friends and mentors and colleagues. So I have a long list of people who have influenced my thinking. Um, most recently, I left uh, in the mid-1990s and became an administrator. I went out and became a dean of a business school and came back in the year 2001. And it was since 2001 that I've been most involved in and interested in this topic called positive organizational scholarship. That movement was parallel to the positive psychology movement. Interestingly, we didn't talk for the first couple of years, and then um, Marty Seligman and Chris Peterson and others uh, became both good friends and collaborators, and uh, we had lots of interesting opportunities to talk and sit in conferences and sit on panels with them. So there's been lots of interchange since that time. <clears throat> but we were interested here at Michigan in not so much the positive psychology questions, namely what happens in individuals' own heads and with individuals' uh, personal behaviors, but we were more interested in what happens in organizations and what are the routines and practices and cultures that can be developed in organizations to create extraordinary performance. So it's the organization level of analysis that has dominated my work and my colleagues' work in this research center. You know, I was um, so fortunate to be in the audience and to hear 
um, Professor Cameron talk uh, about um, positive organizational uh, scholarship issues. And um, Kim, I, I'd love to to know how you got interested in this idea of virtuousness of organizations, um, in addition to this uh, positive organizational scholarship. I was doing uh, studies, Kathy, for about 15 years on organizational downsizing. It's difficult to live in Michigan and not be exposed to downsizing. (laughs) Virtually everyone has been affected in some way by the mass exodus from Michigan, especially because of the auto industry and manufacturing and so on. Well, over a period of time, the major question that I was asking is, what happens to an organization when it downsizes? The answer to that question is performance deteriorates most of the time, probably 85% of the time. Organizations slide in productivity, profitability, quality, morale, and so on. But that leaves 15% or so of the companies who, after downsizing, flourish. Over time, one of the questions that I then began asking was, well, what's the difference between the 15% uh, organizations that flourish and everyone else? What's unusual about those organizations? I didn't have really good data, but I had, over the period of time doing all these studies, begun to form an impression that the difference between the 15% and others was something I referred to as just a virtuous organization culture. That is, they were characterized by compassion and forgiveness and trustworthiness and gratitude and so on, factors that we normally say, well, those are kind of virtuous attributes. Well, I went and gave a presentation at the Academy of Management, which is the professional association to which I belong, and made that case. But I felt like it was very risky because I didn't have really good hard data. The word virtuousness is not one of those scientifically credible words, and I was just sort of afraid that people would laugh me out of the academy. But I said to myself, doesn't really matter. I'm going to go become a dean anyway, and I won't have to come back here. I'll just, I'll just be a dean. Six months after I gave that presentation, I, was, I received a phone call. I was contacted by somebody who said, there is a foundation funding research on forgiveness. Mm-hmm. First, time, first uh, time anyone's ever been serious about trying to scientifically investigate this concept of forgiveness. And I heard your talk, said this person, you might be interested. So sure enough, I sent in a research proposal and was funded to study forgiveness in organizations. As it turns out, I was the only non-psychologist, non-therapist who had applied I was interested in studying what happens in organizations after downsizing when there's harm and difficulty and loss of trust and some kinds of uh, difficulties that occur as a result of downsizing. So I thought forgiveness would be a relevant concept. But I was pretty clear in my mind that a single concept like forgiveness would not in and of itself be a major predictor because Forgiveness never occurs in isolation. There's always other kinds of attributes like, for example, empathy or compassion or even love or positive self-regard and so on. Those kinds of other factors always occur, I assumed, in collaboration. Well, 
for five years or so. I was a dean and didn't have time to do the research, but then came back to Michigan, called up the funder and said, I haven't done the study, but would you give me an extension on the grant, research grant, so I can get the research done? They said, absolutely, we want the research done. Nobody's doing this in organizations. Mm. So that study in 2001 began this journey of studying uh, virtuousness. As it turns out, empirically, I was right. Forgiveness in and of itself is not a major predictor of things like profitability, uh, recovery, quality, customer satisfaction, employee retention, and so on. But it is highly predictive when it is associated with or when it is when it appears in collaboration with other virtuous uh, uh, activities. Well, Kim, hold that thought, and we're going to be right back, and we'll talk more about this on Leadership Development News. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better what do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately how do you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 this is ed hanway CEO of Cigna Corporation. Join us in celebrating all babies, those born healthy, and those who need help to survive. Go to marchofdimes.com and tell your special baby's story. Read other stories, too. And while you're there, learn how you can help the March of Dimes fight premature birth and give babies a healthy start. What a wonderful way to celebrate babies. Marchofdimes.com. Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and H2C to your team, visit her blog at kathygreenberg.com. That's Kathy with a C, greenberg.com. And click on the H2C link. 
Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. Today, we're talking with Dr. Kim Cameron. He's a professor of management and organization at University of Michigan and also in the business school. And he mentioned that he teaches in the MBA programs and the uh, executive education programs. And before the break, you were talking about your study of uh, forgiveness uh, that led to virtuousness. And, Kim, maybe you can tell us a little bit more for, the, for our audience, just how did you go about that uh, study and, you know, how big was the sample? You know, what were some of the, what were some of the actual things that you uh, studied, the factors to get some of this research? Yeah, thanks, really. The, there have been several studies. That particular study, I think, was a study originally of about 53 organizations. And the instrument uh, that was created was a survey instrument measuring a variety of what we refer to, <clears throat> excuse me, as virtuous practices. I think there were seven or eight including trustworthiness and forgiveness and compassion and optimism and hope and uh, gratitude and so on, uh, simply items on the survey that assessed the extent to which behaviors were displayed in the organization that would represent those virtues. So it was a behavioral instrument. Since that time, there have been quite a number of other studies we've done, um, including uh, broad samples of organizations uh, we have a survey instrument, for example, we now call it the Positive Practices Survey, measures 38 different dimensions of organization virtuousness or positive practices. And, and across, I'm not sure how many, but a uh, large number of organizations. Um, I don't know, several thousand, 10 or, 10 or 12,000 uh, uh, respondents. There have been other studies done simply of uh, individual organizations, um, mainly different business units within organizations. I can tell you about some of those. The conclusions of, the, of these studies are actually quite dramatic. I'll give you one example, really. Um, in a study of these 38 dimensions of, of positive practices or virtuous practices, we had... Uh, a sample in the financial services industry. Now, the reason that's important is because the financial services industry, buying and selling stocks, worrying about, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we need to know if we're ahead or behind. And so the most um, amoral, least likely industry to care about how you treat people is financial services Mm -hmm. because what we're interested in doing is a stock price return. So we picked that industry specifically because if you can find differences in that kind of an industry, you're bound to find differences uh, even more dramatic in healthcare and social services and education and organizations that care <laughs> much more deeply about uh, employees and, and uh, individuals working in the organization. All right, here's the result. Uh, in the financial services industry, 
we measured um, these 38 dimensions of positive practices and then six different measures of financial performance. So, of course, that would be revenues and efficiency and keeping customers, keeping their money in your organization and so on, profitability. The uh, correlation between positive practices and financial performance is about 0.49. In scientific journal articles, a 0.49 correlation is a pretty high correlation. There's lots of work done when you get uh, significant results with a 0.2 correlation, so it's strong. But what was more dramatic was that we measured um, in these organizations positive practices at time once, for example, in 2005. Then we measured them again a year later, 2006. Took the change scores, that is, did you improve or not in these positive practices? Now, by the way, in each one of these organizations, they had taken seriously the idea of positive organization scholarship as being something they wanted to implement or various practices they wanted to implement. So everybody was trying to get better. Most organizations got better, at least on some dimensions. Okay, but here's the scientific results. What we discovered is that if you simply take change scores, did we get better or not, and then did uh, financial performance improve or not, so you're taking a relatively conservative look at whether or not these positive practices really work. That is, is there a change in one and what happens to the change in the other? The statistic they used is what's called just simply an R-square, or in other words, the amount of variance accounted for. If you get one tick improvement in one, what happens to the other? The R-square is 0.45, or in other words, you get one tick improvement on positive practices, you get a half a tick improvement on financial performance. A month ago or so, I reviewed a journal article in which R-square was the major statistic being argued, and the R-square in that paper was 0.15. And they were arguing this is a pretty good result because you can account for essentially 15% of the variance. Well, we can account for almost 50%, 45% of the variance, simply by looking at um, positive practices or virtuousness in financial services where you would not expect it to be uh, a, a significant factor. So there is now beginning to pile up pretty substantial evidence that at least at the organization level, positive practices, virtuousness in the organization really does pay off in just bottom line uh, ways. The reason that's important is because you walk in the average CEO's office and you say, I want to study compassion, forgiveness, gratitude, trustworthiness, <laughs> right, integrity. Right. They say, look, I, I don't have time for this. You know, i got an analyst meeting in 15 minutes. If you show me how it pays off, right. show me any kind of result that I care about, I'll pay attention. Otherwise, you know, just let's forget this. Sounds like Sunday school advice. <laughs> well, in fact, the evidence exists that um, you pay attention, you're going to get the bottom line impact that CEOs are held accountable for. You know, as you're speaking, Kim, I can't help but think about some of the things that you have to do, the kinds of programs that right. you probably have to institutionalize through the university to help develop leaders who help companies practice virtuousness. How, how do you do that? 
Good question, Kathy. And there are a number of ways. Of course, we have developed here. I'm not here to sell books or programs or anything, but we've developed here uh, two one-week-long executive programs where people come specifically. One of them is focused specifically on the leader, uh, how you can become a more positive, more effective, positive leader, and the other one is focused on the organization. How do you change your organization, develop this positive culture so that you can um, get the kind of impact you want on the organization's performance? So one way is literally having people show up with other colleagues, uh, other interested individuals for a week, and we spend a week exposing people to both the research but also very practical tools that we've developed. As you'd expect, lots of people say, okay, fine, but how, you, how do you do that? Give me some specifics. So we spent a week doing that in each of those cases. That's one. The second is this uh, book that just came out a month ago or so, simply entitled Positive Leadership, which was written specifically just in response to the questions I constantly got from various audiences saying, fine, fine, we're now convinced that there's some substance to this. The empirical research really does say it pays off, but what can we do? So Positive Leadership is simply a book, short book by design. It's only 120 pages or so, but short book by design, specifically focused on research, not storytelling, not mm -hmm. one, this is what Jack Welch did, this is what somebody else did. This is rather a book saying, here's what the research suggests really works. So that's another way we try to go about it. And then third, of course, we have a website full of articles, tools, and techniques, um, literally um, uh, a, a syllabi from courses, uh, little practices that uh, individuals have developed, and we simply make those available on the website for people who are interested. And that website is www.dus.umich.edu backslash positive. That's it. You bet. It's a, it's a business school website at Michigan and then slash positive. Maybe the easiest way to get to it is simply Google mm -hmm. positive organizational scholarship. Oh, and, perfect. And it comes up that way, too. Well, good. And then people can also email you, right? Absolutely. At Kim underscore Cameron, C-O-M-E-R-O-N, at umich.edu. That's it. Yeah. Now, um, just a... A quick question, really. I know you're probably dying to get a question in here, otherwise, but I, I can't help but ask this. You use an inventory real time during your conference uh, and speaking engagements with hundreds of people in the audience, and you collect that data real time while we're there without being invasive, and then you show us the data at the end. Now, uh, how, do you, how did you come up with that idea? You know, um, it would be wonderful if every time I gave a talk or something, I could collect information in advance, but there's all kinds of reasons why that's impossible. So what I've been trying to do in a very easy, short way is to c collect information that I, that I don't claim is valid. It's not necessarily um, information that you would base a research paper on, but it gives people a pretty good idea of what is happening in the room. And there actually are several of those. One of the uh, little instruments is um, um, an instrument to assess the amount of or the extent to which individuals' organizations are uh, displaying high engagement, for example. 
or high integrity or trust. All right. Well, we're going to come right back after this break, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, and hopefully Relly will get a question in there. This is Leadership <laughs> Development News. You come right back. Thanks. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and H2C to your team, visit her blog at kathygreenberg.com. That's Kathy with a C, Greenberg.com. And click on the H2C link. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Doctors Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr. Kim Cameron from the University of Michigan uh, Business School. And, Kim, before the break, you were talking about something that Kathy saw uh, in the room gauging people, and you were just before the break talking about how it, one of the things that you can engage is, is uh, high engagement or trust. Maybe you can follow up with some of that data that you can get in the room, and, and, how, and how do you get that data? Great. Um, thanks, Riley. I um, These are simply teaching techniques and involvement techniques. And uh, the thing that Kathy saw, I think, in the 
presentation in which we were together was an instrument in which people simply responded to a single question. Was, uh, the question had four different alternatives, and those alternatives were each a scenario, a written-out scenario, mm -hmm. trying to describe an organization. Uh, and people then divided 100 points across those four scenarios, giving the most points to the scenario most like their organization. And we mm -hmm. can create a profile of how people responded. We also do something similar in creating positive energy networks. See, in organizations, um, the normal way you draw a picture of an organization is by boxes and arrows, like a pyramid. It's a standard organization chart. But the most frequent alternative to that is uh, a network map. And normally, network maps in organizations, which, by the way, can be characterized by the back of an airline magazine. Those are also network maps. You can do that in an organization, and normally it's done on the basis, for example, of information flows. So who's at the hub of an information network? The person in the center of an information network, research suggests, has higher performance, and the unit he or she manages is also uh, has higher performance. The other alternative is influence networks. So if you're at the hub of an influence network, your performance is going to be higher, as is your organization. And both of those are understandable. If I know the information first and I get all the organization secrets, or if I can get my way, if I'm influential and powerful, I'm going to be a better performer. We've begun doing research, drawing network maps on the basis of positive energy. Mm. What's that? Positive energy means if I interact with Relly or if I interact with Kathy and I'm enlivened, uplifted, they're life-giving to me, enthusing me. They are positive energizers. On the other hand, if I interact with them and I'm depleted, I'm exhausted, they suck all the energy out of me, we would call them de-energizers. So it's easy to get that information quickly in a room. I mean, the, the best way to get it is in advance where you do a real network map, and there's pretty well-developed technology for developing networks. But you can do it in the room just by asking, for example, people to identify the two other people in the room who are the most positive, energizing people in the room. And you simply tally those up really quickly and identify who gets the most votes or the most uh, recommendations. Those people end up being, as it turns out, <clears throat> higher performers, as you'd expect. That is, if you're at the center of a positive energy network, your performance is higher than normal and the unit you manage is higher than normal. What's surprising in the research, however, is that your position in the energy network is four times more important than your position in the information network or the influence network in predicting performance. Wow. So what's surprising about that is everybody knows sort of energy exists. We sort of know people, and we sometimes talk about them as enthusiastic or maybe even happy or something. But we don't manage it very often. We certainly manage communication, and we certainly manage decision-making, power, influence, getting things done. But hardly ever do we manage energy, which, as it turns out, is four times more important than that which we do energize, uh, than we do manage. So that's, so that's an example, really, of some of the things we're discovering out of this research that we'd normally not uncover. That's, that's amazing, and it, it does parallel all the stuff that both Kathy and I are interested in that we said earlier in the show, how emotions are contagious. So <clears throat> the person who is the most kind of energetic, best positive mood, uh, more people are attracted to that person, and that person makes them feel good. But from your research, then 
that network is four times higher than, than the person who has either influence and or information. That's correct. You were talking, oh, excuse me. Oh, that's okay. I was just saying that, that on the break we were talking a little bit about the lost value that a company, um, unfortunately, uh, has uh, potential for in a merger. Um, and we were talking about the fact that it's the, the lack of cultural understanding that can create the largest revenue and profit loss uh, as a result of not doing due diligence on the front end around those cultures. When you do this work um, at the university and you use um, you know, the context of the, the positive organizational um, strategy work, um, have you worked with organizations that have um, gone through a merger or an alliance and have used these techniques and strategies? We really have, um, and it's such an important factor. You know, the scientific research, you know well, um, suggests that depend, depends on who you read and which you read, but almost everybody agrees that either between 50 and 80% of mergers and acquisitions fail, meaning they don't achieve the financial performance um, expected, and they don't um, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, share price, stock price. I'm trying to think of shareholder value uh, deteriorates or does not improve as much as they expected it to. Okay, well, why not? Well, two reasons. One is people pay too much in a merger, and or the systems aren't aligned. But the second is culture. That is, the cultural attributes in one organization don't match or are not congruent with another, and they simply cannot get themselves to become married or to merge successfully. Well, one of the aspects of culture that we look at are, is the extent to which embedded in the organization's culture are these positive values or positive practices or the extent to which what we sometimes refer to as an abundance culture or a virtuous culture exists. When it does, the success of mergers and acquisitions goes up markedly. In fact, we can predict about 90, with about 95% accuracy which organizations will succeed and which will fail based on the extent to which they have some of these attributes in place in advance. Well, due diligence or diagnosing these things in advance of mergers is hardly ever performed. It's just unfortunate. It's another, another example of the fact that we know some things exist, we just don't do a very good job of managing them. And that's one of the major discoveries, probably, or insights from this positive organizational scholarship stream of research, and that is not much is emerging that's rocket science. Everybody knows about positive energy. Everybody knows about uh, happiness and positive feedback and self-efficacy and all those kinds of things. Everybody knows trustworthiness and honesty and optimism is better than the reverse. Everybody knows that expressing gratitude <clears throat> excuse me, uh, has m bigger impacts than the reverse in an organization. And actually, lots of research talks about both psychologically and behaviorally and emotionally as well as organizationally. But, all that said, we don't do a very good job of managing or leading on the, on the basis of those attributes. We're simply building a scientific base that says <coughs> you ignore those things at your peril. So, uh, Kim, let me ask you a couple of qu questions just about that just from the practical standpoint. First, 
uh, I wrote down earlier what you said were the seven or eight virtues. Maybe we can just reiterate the ones I have and which ones are missing. Trustworthiness, forgiveness, optimism, hope, and gratitude. So I have five of them. What's, what are the other ones? You know, there are... Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to have to sit down at my computer and find the <laughs> okay. list of 38, because I can't name the 38 off the top of my head. Well, this, was, oh, no. <laughs> this, this was, a, you were seven, the seven or eight virtues, so I thought if there were any more, but these are all pretty well related. That's right. Okay. There but, are, in fact, if you do, a, if you measure the 38 different positive practices or virtues, and they have to do with helping to develop other people and... Yeah. Uh, so on. You know, it's, these are not, uh, right. nothing on that list would be very surprising. Okay. You do well, a factor analysis, and there's big intercorrelations among those factors. Sure. Well, so then the, then the follow-up, maybe, and then I'm sure some of this is, is in your new book, but maybe you could just highlight, let's say, for a leader, um, what are one or two, three practices they could do in, in your, your new book, Positive Leadership, Strategies for Extraordinary Performance just came out a month ago, but maybe you could highlight, you know, one or two things that, that our listeners could do, you know, right after this show. You bet. Um, the book Positive Leadership is, is written specifically to say, look, there are four different aspects of an organization you, pay, uh, you ought to pay attention to or try to develop if you're going to have this positive culture or abundance culture. One is to create a positive climate. One is to create, develop positive relationships. One is to develop positive communication. And one is to develop positive meaning. Now, in each one of those buckets, we've simply identified three or four or five specific practices. So mm-hmm. let, me, let me highlight one or two. Okay. Uh, I'll not go through the entire uh, list. But, for example, one of the things we've discovered is um, about, I'm going to, I'll illustrate just randomly, I'll pick positive communication. We've done a study here with 60 top management teams who came to Ann Arbor. We asked them to do real work. That is, sit down with your top management team, review the budget, set strategy, look at goals, and so on for a day. They were being observed by graduate students coding the communication that was going on among the top management teams. Unbeknownst to the people, they, were, they knew they were being observed, but unbeknownst to them, we categorized their organizations as high, medium, or low performing based on profitability, productivity, and we had 360 data ratings from their associates on how good of managers they were. If they scored above average, they were rated as high performing. If they scored below average, they were rated as low performing organizations. So we had three categories, high, medium, and low. One of the categories into which communication was coded was the number of positive statements made relative to the number of negative statements made. What's a positive statement? Appreciative, approval, helpful, caring, supportive. A negative statement is disparaging, critical, undercutting, and so on. And Kim, we're going to come right back. When we come back, I'll tell you the results. Perfect. Thank you. This is Leadership Development News with Kim S. Cameron, Professor, University of Michigan. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. 
Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and H2C to your team, visit her blog at kathygreenberg.com. That's Kathy with a C, greenberg.com. And click on the H2C link. The Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr. Kim Cameron, University of Michigan. His new book, Positive Leadership, he just was highlighting the four aspects, creating a positive climate, creating positive relationships, positive communication, uh, and positive meaning. And we're highlighting one of those, positive communication, and you were talking about the study with 60 top management teams and uh, tracking how many positive statements versus negative statements. Maybe you can pick us up from there. Thank you, really. Um, 
As it turns out, the high-performing companies had an average of five positive statements made for every negative statement made. Hmm. Low-performing companies had an average of three negative statements for every positive statement. In other words, the five-to-one ratio, positive to negative, was predictive of the highest performers. So now, this sometimes is, this is like the human flourishing research that Barbara Fredrickson. That's exactly has done. right. Okay, great. In fact, Barbara's own research suggests that she's doing positive emotion studies, and she suggests that about a three-to-one ratio, positive emotions to negative emotions, is the most productive. Of course, it's not a five-to-zero, or it's not a twenty-to-one. It's approximately five-to-one, which, by the way, is very typical of lots of other work in psychology. Mm-hmm. The John Gottman work yeah. um, also suggests in marriages he can predict with 95% accuracy after a 10-year period of time who's still married or who's happily married based on a tape-recorded conversation between a couple uh, talking about a controversial topic 10 years before. And the predictive ratio in that interaction is 5 to 1, same kind of ratio so that it happens in marriages, jury deliberations, legislative sessions, and so on. There's this positive-to-negative communication ratio ends up being pretty predictive. Well, that's one of the tools. It's, it's small. It's not rocket science. It's not very typical. I mean, it's not very uh, surprising, but it's typical of high performance. That is simply emphasize positive communication relative to negative. I'll give you another tool. Uh, just that's easy to implement. 360 data is very common in organizations. Almost everybody now has some kind of a survey system where people get ratings on their behaviors or on their attitudes or on their leadership capability from themselves and then from colleagues. When you get that kind of data, almost everybody looks at the gap between my own rating and others' ratings and or the low ratings I get from others. So my job generally is to try to overcome or improve the negative weakness difficulties I'm facing, the areas where my associates are rating me low. We've supplemented that um, kind of survey instrument with something we call the best self-feedback process. It goes like this. <clears throat> if I were to engage you, Relly and Kathy, in the best self-feedback, I'd say I want you to pick 20 people who know you, colleagues, coworkers, friends, individuals with whom you uh, have a relationship, ask them to, give, to write three stories. Send them back to me. Write three stories responding to the question, when you have seen me at my best, what have you seen? Now, a better way to ask, ask that question is, when you have seen me add unique value, when you have seen me make a real difference that has been important, what have I done? The more behavioral the question wording, the better. So what happens is you get back from those 20 people 60 stories, three stories each, 60 stories, all of which describe your behavior. It's not attitudes. It's not, oh, this is a really nice person. It is, here's the kind of behavior I saw you display when you added unique value. Then we take people through a process where they simply analyze the 60 stories and generate a best self-portrait. What ends up happening in the, with that data is, one, people end up uh, identify, or, or being, um, having identified for them 
strengths that they would never check off on a strengths finder. They'd never say, oh, yeah, I'm really good at this. It rather is very natural behaviors they display that have big impact, that make a real difference, that add a lot of value. And many times people say, gee, this is really easy for me. I didn't realize this was so valuable. So let me create an opportunity to display those more often. I'm going to try to understand the context into which I am most effective. That's one thing. The second thing that happens is it sets an aspirational plane for people to reach up to. They see what's valued, where they're making most contributions. It tends to get them to do that or want to do that more often. So it's an uplifting sort of uh, set of information. And then third is it develops a much more close relationship with the people who gave them stories. Sort of the general law of reciprocity kicks in. That is, if you give me information, especially complementary information about myself, it makes me want to respond in kind. So relationships between the person and the 20 other folks who gave them feedback ends up being uh, strengthened or at least uh, more enriched. So the best self-feedback tool, very simple, but it's not a strengths finder because you'd never check off the kind of information you get from the best self-feedback. Right. It's not a 360 data uh, feedback system, which generally focuses on weaknesses. It rather helps you focus, focus on the areas in which you're most uh, strong and in which you add value or unique contribution. Just another tool that helps people get both building relationships, of course, and um, helping them get information about themselves. There are some others. Um, yeah. The other tools or techniques that we help organizations implement as they try to develop an abundance culture, but those are two or hey, Kim, this is, I've mentioned. This is very good, and, and I know we're, we're getting down to the last minute or two. Um, the uh, positive climate, positive relationships, positive communication are all pretty clear. How would you define the positive meanings? And then maybe we'll bring this to a close with that. Thank you, Rennie. Uh, really, the... the um, Positive meaning can be illustrated by the following study. This was a doctoral dissertation done at Michigan by one of our graduate students, uh, Amy Wisniewski, who now is on the faculty at Yale. There have been quite a number of other studies that have confirmed this, but let me just highlight uh, Amy's research. She simply interviewed people and asked them to identify the meaning they attached to work. Some number of people define their work as a job. Mm. I got an assignment. I know what to do. Um, I'll do it. It's not particularly fulfilling for me, but I know I've got to do it. I'm going to flip hamburgers because I've got to get enough money to go to school or, get my, or pay for my car. The best way to, as it turns out, the best way to manage those people is with financial capital. Just pay them. So go ahead, Kim. Give us the... Give us the the final second, note here. The second category, people define their work as a career. I want to move up. I want prestige. A third category, my work is a calling. It has meaning broader than my own self. And so what we've done is to try to identify ways in which we can foster, enable this sense of calling or meaningfulness. And, um, and that's what the book describes. Outstanding. You have been a tremendous asset to our listeners, and the many leaders who look for direction. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Riley. Thanks, Kathy. This has been Leadership Development News. We'll sign it off. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening.
You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers, with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Business Channel. Up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. 